with this morning, as I alluded to before, if you don't have any sermon notes, please see the hosts after the service and grab yours. Uh, they will help you. These sermon notes, there's nothing that you need to fill in today. I thought I'd make it really easy for you so that we can just follow stuff through, but you'll be able to follow the theme of the message. There are, however, there is some homework in your sermon notes because there are some questions that uh, I would like you to think about, to ponder, and to uh, uh, evaluate as, uh, as you do um, move through this morning. The Bible says in, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 1, this is what uh, I love about the Bible and th- themes happening in particular for this morning's service. And this is Paul speaking. Paul says, finally, dear brothers and sisters, we ask you to pray for us. Paul is saying to the church in Thessalonica that he wants them to pray for Paul. So what does Paul want prayer for in this particular instance? Well, here it is. He says, pray that the Lord's message will spread rapidly and be honored wherever it goes, just as when it came to you. That's my prayer as a result of this message series that we are doing and into part two this morning. Pray for the spread of the message of Jesus. Heavenly Father, I pray this morning for the spread rapidly of the message of Christ, the message of salvation, the message of healing, the message of redemption, the message of of hope and glory for eternity with you. I pray that you'd use us in the spread of your message. Father, help us to honor the message in our lives as we have received it, Lord. But help us to honor it by giving it out and not letting it stop with us, but letting it go forward into our communities, into our streets, our shops, wherever we are. I pray that you'd help us to spread the message of Jesus rapidly and that we see fruitfulness upon the people's lives in the wonderful name of Jesus. And everyone said, and everyone said, excellent, cool bananas. So with this is part two, this morning of a series that I've started, uh, I started last week. I would encourage you to listen to last week's message. It sets a pretty important foundation and introduction of where this series is going to go and the reasons why we're doing this series. So I would encourage you to download the message from iTunes or sometime this week, have a look on our webpage and you can listen to the message online uh, as, as well. But this is, the, the, the series is called It's Tool Time. Now, You'll notice up front here that I've got a number of different toolboxes up here. Three of them are mine. One's Jane's. <laughs> okay? One, one's Jane's. Okay? One's Jane's. Just, just making sure you know which one's Jane's. Okay? Now, what you'll notice about... All of these toolboxes is that generally they contain the same sorts of tools. There are screwdrivers, hammers, there are pliers, there are all sorts of tools within each of these toolboxes. But the other thing that you'll notice about these toolboxes is that the toolboxes are different. You've got a red one, you've got a grey one. You've got a black and clear one. Here's one I prepared earlier. You've got a yellow and black one. This one's plastic. Pretty tough plastic because it needs to be with me doing it. This one's metal. needs to be tougher. This one's plastic. It's Jane's. Soft plastic. The thing is that as much as the tools are basically the same in each of the toolboxes. The toolboxes are different. When it comes to the tools that we need to reach out to the people in our communities, the tools that we will use are going to be basically the same. But the vessels they come through are vastly different. The tools that contain the toolboxes are different. 
This talks about, to me, about you and I. We are different, different containers. We look different. We sound different. We, some of us are, are tougher than others. Some of us are, are harder than others. Some of us are more robust than others. Some of us are really soft and pliable, and that's, that's a wonderful thing to have. But the tools that we're going to use to reach the people around about us with the message of Jesus Christ are going to be basically the same. And that is the premise of this whole series about its tool time. That there are some tools that I'm going to be providing us with as a people, as a church, to reach out to the people in our community, to see them engaged in a spiritual conversation that are going to be basically the same. The tools will be basically the same. But the way that you use those tools, the way that you, you handle it, the way that you, you uh, use it in different applications is going to change markedly. It's going to be a wide-ranging way of, the, of you actually using these tools. And isn't that the beauty of Jesus? Isn't that the beauty of the body of Christ? That we can actually use the things that God has given to us in totally different ways. And I can learn from the way that you use a tool, and you could learn from the way that I use a tool. That is the beauty of the body of Christ. It's a part of what we need to do as a church. So it's the same thing with ongoing conversations with the people in our community. We are going to learn from one another about how we can best use the tools that God has made available to us in reaching out to the people around about us. We uh, need to practice with these tools. You know, it's, it's great to, to have these tools, but if you don't know how to use them and use them effectively, then the work that we are going to do is going to be possibly substandard. We're going to mess some things up. We're going to ruin some things that uh, didn't need to be ruined because we didn't know how to use the tools that were available to us. So practice uh, using the tools is just as much a part of having the tools themselves. It's no good to have a tool in the toolbox to have a job that needs to be done, but then fail to use the tool because we didn't know how to use it. And this whole series is about us learning how to use the tools that God has given to us to be able to reach out to the people in and around about us. Jesus did not die on the cross for the tools to remain in the box. I'll say it again. Jesus did not die on the cross for the tool to stay in the toolbox. His life is too valuable, too precious, too powerful. The thing that he did was so immense for me to leave a tool in the toolbox. The people in my street are too valuable to God for me to leave a tool in the toolbox. Pray that the Lord's message would spread rapidly and be honored wherever it goes. The way that we honor the message of Jesus is that we use a tool in the toolbox to get the message out, to help spread the, uh, the, the message of Christ rapidly. Good preaching. Talking to someone who's not a believer about Jesus, who lives and believes differently from us, has sadly become a lost art. We've lost the ability to be able to speak about things of faith and about Jesus in our community. We've lost the confidence that comes through practicing using the tools because of society and culture saying that they don't want to engage with the message. Well, quite frankly, the way that Christ, many Christians, myself included, have conveyed the message it's no wonder that they didn't want to listen to it. We've tended towards telling people how to fix their lives by coming to church, repenting of their sins, praying a prayer, and then reading their Bibles. And that's not what they're after. Generally speaking, well-meaning Christians, God-loving, God-fearing Christians, people who love people in the community, have preached at people about Jesus. Colossians chapter 3 verse 16 says, Let the message about Christ, let the message about Christ in all of its richness fill your lives. When we are filled with the, the life of Christ in us, there is nothing that will stop us from doing the next part. It says to teach and counsel each other 
with all the wisdom that Jesus gives. Everyone say wisdom. See, are we engaging in a conversation, not a dialogue? A dialogue is a one-way baby. You know, it's, I'm just going to preach at you. I'm going to tell you everything you need to get right. I'm gonna, you need to repent or it's going to go to hell. And we wonder why the message never gets through. Why they don't want to, to engage with us. Praise God. Are we using relational wisdom, conversational wisdom, spiritual wisdom in the way that we converse and, and communicate with the people in our community? We are called to our communities to be the church, to be salt and light, to be a witness for Jesus. The sad truth, though, is that we haven't engaged with others about the message of Christ with all wisdom. We've not done it well. We've told people how they need to live and to believe differently. They've got to, we tell them what they've got to do with their lives without showing the least bit about, of interest what's happening in their life. Our message is Christ. It's, it's the message of grace and truth. We want people who live in and around us to be awakened to a full understanding of the truth. But the language and the attitudes that we've used have not been seasoned with salt or wisdom. But I want to say also that it's not all bad news this morning. There is some good news. You know what? There are people that do engage with the community and with the people around about them and they do it really well. So how do they do that? The thing with the, the people like that is that they don't know how themselves they do it. It's, it's almost like it's intuitively caught that they, they reach out and they just do it naturally. It's like we write it off to personality and, and we say that they just do it intuitively. And we can't, you know, they, they couldn't really, well, you just do it. That's how, they, how, do you, how do you reach out to them? How do you have a conversation about Jesus? Well, you just do it. Just talk about Jesus. Well, that didn't help. How did you do that? I don't know. I just did it. Do you know people like that? I know people like that. And that's how they'd explain it to me. Oh, that's not helpful. The old, whole idea of this It's Tool Time is that we can slow stuff down enough, think through some things, and say, this is actually the start of how we did that. Many of us don't know how to share the message of Christ with people. We lack the confidence, the tools, the training, the practice of having a spiritual conversation with the people in our world. And so sadly, many have given up even trying to have a conversation about Jesus with the people in and around about our lives. George Barner said this. He says, perhaps the most obvious observation is that most unchurched people aren't being pursued by anyone. I haven't been trained in having a spiritual conversation with people. No one's given me the tools or let alone uh, shown me how to use them so that I could talk to someone about God. And as a church, we have disempowered people from having spiritual conversations with the people through telling people to invite people to church. We've disempowered you to do that. Because what we're saying to you is, if you invite someone to church, let us talk to them about the spiritual things. When they come to church, we'll talk to them about We'll be, you know, get, get them to the, the expert up the front, the pastor, the leader, the evangelist. Get them into their, to their, that, that church service, and we'll do the work for you. So what we've effectively done is to take all the tools away from you and said it's all about getting people to church. It's not getting people to church. I think church is important. I think it's valuable for us to, to have a, a corporate gathering that we can get, gather together, encourage one another, and be there for one another. But it's not about just getting everybody to church. Oh, God, help me to preach this. It's been the hope. We've, we've said, like, get people to church, invite people to church. It's been in the hope that when they've experienced what church is like, that they might want to give their lives to Jesus because of how good church was. But this approach hasn't worked for me, and I would suggest it's not working for many of you either. Am I right or am I wrong? 
Come on, church, talk to me. I've never had someone I've invited to church give their heart to Jesus when they came. In fact, I can't remember the last time that I invited someone to, to infuse church and they actually came. Here's my frustration. What I'm doing now is not working. Here's my challenge. I've got to change what I'm doing. The definition of insanity is to continue to do the same thing and expect a different result. If I continue to do what I'm doing right now, I'm going to see no change. So therefore, what my current situation tells me is that unless I change what I'm doing, I'm not going to see any different result. I've got to change what I'm doing to see a different result. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 to 9, it says, Who's Apollos? Who's Paul? Because there's this great big discussion in, in the church in Corinth. They're having this discussion saying, Well, I came to faith because of Paul, so I'm following Paul. No, no, no. I came through to faith because of Apollos, so I'm going to f- follow Apollos. Paul's a way better leader than Apollos. No, 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 no. Apollos is a way greater leader than, than Paul is. And you've got this great dialogue going on. And Paul's saying, Guys, I need to talk to you, like give you some meat of the word, but I can't. I've got to give you milk because you're still in the infancy of just trying to see, say, say that one leader's better than another. So Paul addresses this. He says, Who's Paul? Who's Apollos? We're only God's servants through whom you believe the good news. So in other words, Paul and Apollos are simply people that went out into their community. They engaged in a spiritual conversation with the people around about them. They saw some fruit as a result of it. People yielded their lives to, to Christ as a result of that. And that's what they're saying. That's all we did. So he says, I planted the seed in your hearts and Apollos watered it. But God made it grow. Everyone say, God made it grow. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. It's a powerful passage of Scripture that we see and understand. But here's the deal. If no seed's planted, there's nothing going to grow. Who'd have thought? I know God's the God of the universe. He could create a seed in an instant. But he doesn't choose to do that. He chooses to use you and I to plant seeds in the water. That's what happens. Just as there are many numerical seeds that can be planted, there's also many different types of seeds that can be planted. So here's the catch. God needs us to to plant those seeds before he can make them grow. How often are we planting seeds and what sort of seeds are we planting in the lives of people around about us? Our message doesn't change. Christ is the message. But the way that we engage with people and deliver the message of Christ has got to change. The the way that we seed the ground or the way that we make that, that seed grow, or God makes that grow, has got to change. The church telling everyone to bring someone to next Sunday's service is not working. Read my lips. It's not working. People don't want to come to church. It's time for the church to go to the people. The church is not a building. It's a body. It's Christ's body. It's you. It's me. You're the hands, you're the feet, you're the nose, you're the ear, you're the big toe. It's probably my job. (laughs) We're embarking on a journey that I believe has the power to completely transform the way that we reach our communities. Each week, I'm going to be giving us a tool to use, a seed to plant, that will help us transform our attitude towards and approach of having an ongoing spiritual conversation with someone. This series is based on a book that I discovered by accident one day. You know, those accidents that God brings along your way every now and again. On the morning that I discovered this book, this book here, and there should be, uh, hopefully there's a a picture that will come up on the screen uh, in relation to that as well. So that's a big heads up to sound person. 
I found that book completely by accident. The morning I found this book, my prayer had been in my devotional time, help me to speak to people I meet with about you, Lord. I want to see people saved. Help me to do that. Went to Kurong. Jane's looking through some books uh, for the Daniel plan that she's uh, really getting some great benefit out of. And just on the shelf next to her, this book about spiritual conversations just grabbed my attention. I picked it up. I thought, that's a shocking title of a book. But I tell you what, the truth and the simplicity and the practicality of the information inside that book has been tremendous. It's been tremendous. This book has changed my approach to people about Jesus through simple, practical ways of engaging the people that I meet with every day. I've already seen some fruit from the changes I've made personally as a result of taking on board the principles of ways of loving and caring for people that I meet each day. Getting good at spiritual conversations with those who believe differently from us is an art that takes practice, and practice will result in a growth in our confidence to have those conversations. The seeds contained in the nine arts of spiritual conversations are nine simple, wise tools where any Christian can start to engage in the Great Commission. So those nine simple practices are this. They're simply noticing, praying, listening, asking questions, loving, welcoming, facilitating, serving together, and sharing. What I love about the the way that this book has presented this information is that sharing is the last thing we do. There's, There's a whole swag of stuff that comes up before the sharing. So today we're going to look at the first art, the first practice, the first tool, the first seed that we can start to sow into the lives of people around about us. And that seed is the seed of noticing. Everyone say noticing. Noticing. It's the first step in developing a relationship with anyone, and it starts by simply noticing people. Take a moment in your own life. When someone noticed something positive about you and then they told you about it, well, how did that make you feel? How did that make you feel? To suddenly realize that we've been seen by someone. We're not an anonymous person sitting in a crowd, but someone has actually noticed us. See, noticing is actually a gateway to relationships. Matthew chapter 9, verses 36 to 38 says, When he saw, everyone say saw. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. To be a worker in the field, you've got to learn how to use the tools. You've got to learn how to reap. You've got to learn how to sow. You've got to do, well, maybe sow, then reap. That's probably a bit more helpful. You do. Jesus noticed the crowds first and then he had compassion on them. How about us? Do we see the helpless and the hopeless condition of people that we come into contact with each day? Before we can know someone, we've got to notice them first. We've got to see them. Noticing is really that first step in bringing someone the good news about Jesus. It opens our eyes to God's work and his grace. The Holy Spirit is already working on people. And it's brought, he's brought them to our attention. He's helped us to notice them. This is the simple partnership between the Holy Spirit and us. Where we are starting to notice the people that are sitting around about. Holy Spirit says, did you see that person? Just something about them grips you. It challenges you. It, it, your heart reaches out to them for some reason. You can't explain why. The Holy Spirit's just shown up and said, did you see this person? Did you see this son, this daughter? See, Jesus is our model of noticing. He's the model. Jesus was masterful at noticing people. Luke chapter 19, verses 1 to 10, we read the meeting between Jesus and a tax collector called Zacchaeus. Jesus is on his way to Jericho. He's surrounded by crowds lining the streets. 
Jesus is attentive enough to see a guy up a tree and to transform that man's life as a result. While Zacchaeus had a desire to see Jesus, it was Jesus who took the first step to initiate contact with him. The Bible tells us that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. That word seek actually means to go in search of, to try to find or discover by searching or questioning. Jesus notices people personally, like Zacchaeus, and he also notices collectively, and it moves him to compassion and action. In Luke 19, uh, verse 41, Jesus is approaching Jerusalem. He saw the city and he wept. There was a collective noticing. In Luke chapter 7, verses 11 to 15, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his widowed mother. A large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her. He noticed her. He noticed her condition. He noticed the grief in her life. And he went out and he solved the problem. Noticing people can move us to compassion and action as people come, become real to us. They're in need of a real saviour. Just like Jesus, we can notice people, we can see them, and it can move our hearts with compassion. Noticing is a relational act of kindness that everyone can do. I'm going to say, you probably already do it now. But we just need to do it deliberately, intentionally. Did you know that noticing counts in evangelism? Evangelism means good news. When Jesus noticed people, it was good news. Matthew 10:42, Giving a cup of cold water to someone who's thirsty, for instance, the smallest act of giving and receiving makes you a true apprentice. People long for the attention like a cup of cold water. In the arid climate of the Middle East, uh, during the time of Jesus, water was a refreshing treat to ease the common thirst. What if our offer of good news started with a small refreshing step of giving thirsty people the relational equivalent of a cup of water, simply noticing them? In our busy and self-absorbed world and our culture, Simply noticing someone can be the equivalent of a cup of water. You see, here's the thing about noticing. Noticing requires absolutely no courage. It just requires us to do it. Noticing isn't preaching or speaking. It's silent, but incredibly powerful. Noticing is a starting point for building more genuine, caring friendships with the people who are separated from God. So here's three simple ways to practice noticing this morning. Three simple ways. They are doable practices that get us in the game during our normal life routines. The first one is paying attention. Just simply pay attention. Paying attention is a simple, non-verbal practice of intentionally focusing on people that we come into contact with each day and opening our heart to where God may be at work. We don't have to do anything. All we do is notice. It's paying attention. It costs us to say to, uh, something to stay focused on someone even for just a few minutes. It costs us time, attention, and sometimes it'll cost us some money to do that. Paying attention is more than a glance at someone. It's concentrating on someone long enough to wonder about them. It's where we just sit, ask ourselves some questions about the person that we've just seen, the person we've just noticed. What's their story? Are they angry? Are they happy? Are they sad? Are they upset? I wonder what's happening in their world. I wonder what Jesus would say to this person if he was here now. Just asking ourselves some questions. We're not asking them these questions. We're just asking ourselves these questions. We've stopped. We've noticed. We just paused long enough to ask a simple question, what's happening in their world. 
Paying attention doesn't take bravery to do. It just takes intentionality. The second thing we need to do about practicing the art of noticing is simply a secret prayer. Secret prayer. We're paying attention to the person. We've asked ourselves some questions. Let's just pray for the person for goodness sake. As we pay attention to someone, we discreetly send up a silent prayer. Matthew chapter 6, verses 3 to 4 says, And if you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so you're giving maybe in secret. Then your Father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. See, this secret prayer, there is a reward. There is a payoff to our secret prayer. See, it's silent prayer. It's a stealthy prayer. It's a covert prayer. It's a ninja prayer. Oh. And if you do that when you're praying for a minute, I just, just don't. <laughs> don't be creepy. Don't stare. You, you're just sort of like, I've, I've seen this gentleman here. Like, don't freak them out. And they're thinking, huh? They're going to run a mile. How could you pray for the person? How about we just simply said, God, would you let them profoundly sense your presence? Right here, right now. Whatever's happening in their world, would you make your presence known to them? I pray for your peace. I pray for, your, for, for healing. Would you touch this person? Would you soften their hearts so that people can talk to them about you somewhere, some way? See, the most challenging part of secret prayer is our willingness to surrender the outcome to God by releasing control of the results. We submit to God's will and we align our hearts with his plans for the people that we're praying for. Secret prayer Practice affects the way that we see ourselves, that we see others, and that we see God. The third thing that we can do as a part of just simply noticing people is to genuinely listen. Paying attention to someone may prompt us to start a dialogue, a conversation. And this is our chance to evangelize with our ears, not with our mouth. We're using evangelism to reach out to the person using our ears, to listen to them, to hear them and what they're saying. This is going to require us to look at the person in the face, to look interested. So when they're talking, you're not going, oh, look, a bird. We really listen to them. We pay attention we ask them how they're doing, how they're really doing. And then we wait and we really listen. Don't speak except to maybe ask some clarifying questions. How did that make you feel? Is there anything that you need from me? Is there anything I can do to help you? You need to get your life right with you. Don't come out with the stuff. You need to know, gee, no, 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 just listen. Just listen. Just listen. We've got no agenda to fix their, their problem or to convince them or to resist the temptations that are happening in their lives or to offer unsolicited opinions. All we're doing is listening. That's it. The art of, art of noticing is a starting point for building more genuine, caring friendships with the people who are separated from God. It's a doable practice that gets us in the game. By practicing the art of noticing, we begin to see the people who are longing for attention in our world. We'll become aware of what God's up to right where we are, and we can secretly pray for that person. I've been praying for the people that I meet with at the park run on a Saturday morning. I have conversations with people. And as I'm shaking their hands to, to say, hi, how are you doing? Have you had a great week? God, would you touch this person? God, would you make your presence known to this person? God, let them achieve a personal best this week at the park run. Lord, help them to achieve the goals that they're setting. Help them to be excited about life and to enjoy it. We'll find ourselves, as we start to notice people, 
authentically engaged in conversations as we learn to really listen. The art of noticing is unintimidating and it is life-giving. Noticing doesn't require memorizing or presenting anything. Noticing doesn't require any courage on our parts. The important thing that we do is that we start to do it and simply notice people. The art of noticing is a tool that when practiced, it will do three things, changes three things in us. It changes our view of God. He gets way bigger. It changes our view of others. They start to matter to us in ways that we simply can't explain. I've just seen them and they matter to me now. There'll be angels unawares. And the third thing it changes is us. It changes us. See, Jesus noticed a blind man in John chapter 9, verse 1. It says, as he went along. See, Jesus paid attention to people he intersected with along the way. He was attuned to the physical, emotional, and spiritual needs of those around him. Are we? In John chapter 4, verses 1 to 9, Jesus noticed people everyone else had written off. The Samaritan woman was surprised that Jesus noticed her at the well. She's a Samaritan. He's a Jew, she said to him. And not to mention the fact of her immoral lifestyle that likely caused her to be out in the middle of the day by herself getting that water. See, only in the last couple of weeks, I noticed my neighbor. Jane and I were sitting at the front of our home. And opposite us, there's a vacant block. The grass was up to here. I kid you not, it was up to here. And our neighbor who's just purchased the block, ready to build on it, he gets out there with a lawnmower. A lawnmower. And it's a steep block. It's not flat. It's like, it's, it's quite a steep block. I don't want to pay their footing costs when they build. I saw him, I noticed him. I, I, I turned to Jane and said, I cannot sit here and watch this man struggle to mow his lawn, or mow, mow, try and cut down the grass, the jungle, and not do anything. I said, I'm going to go get changed, I'm going to get my whippersnipper. And for the next two hours, I helped that gentleman clear his block. We didn't finish it all, because it was just a massive ch- job. But I noticed. See, that's the thing that starts to happen when you start to pray, Lord, help me to notice the people in around about my world. He will help you to see them. He will help you to see them. So, in your notes, you're going to see that there's a section called This Week's Discover and This Week's Practice. So this week's discover is this. And I've asked some questions in those, those areas. How do you recognize when God is up to something in the lives of people around about you? Have a think about that. How can noticing raise your awareness of God's activity? What small changes in your day would help you to develop a habit of paying more attention to people? Then this week's practice. See, it's, it's great to have all this information, but unless you do something with it. See, it's like what James says. You can have faith, but without works, it's dead. So there's a practice part of what we're going to be doing as well. So here's this week's practice. Commit to spending 16 hours a day. I just wanted to find out who was actually reading the notes. Or listening, yeah. Commit to spending 30 seconds each day paying attention to people in your ordinary routine and being unusually curious about them. Who could you notice in 30 seconds at your school drop-off, in the supermarket, in your street, or traveling in the car in front of you or alongside of you? Or that person that's fair up your boot on the freeway? What could you notice? What do you notice happening inside you as you're paying attention to others? After a few days of paying attention... 
Now commit to 60 seconds per day. 60 seconds. Mass. I mean, this is just going to drain you. You're going to feel depleted. You're going to actually just be so exhausted. You can't do anything. 60 seconds, my goodness. 60 seconds to paying attention to and, and, everyone say and. and. Secretly praying for those people that you noticed. Jesus' name, I hope they Did I get that right? No. Where, where are my karate people? Did I get that good? Is that a good stance? Is it? Oh. Here's the other thing. Once you've done that, how about you share your experience with someone else and celebrate that you actually just made an attempt? You don't have to have any success out of it, just that you've attempted it. This is not rocket science. It's a simple, wise, practical tool that when we start to use it, we'll get effective with it and the quality of what Jesus is doing in our world goes through the roof. And we will see people saved. We will see people saved. We've been talking about seeing our family and friends saved for years, many of us. And we're not seeing them changed. We're not seeing them, them, them come to faith in Christ. Is it time that we changed what we're doing and the way that we're reaching out to them? Because what we're doing now is not working. Surely the time for change has come. Surely the time for change has come. This has gripped me. My whole devotional life in the morning has changed. I can't not pray for the people that I meet. The people that I see and the people that I walk alongside of. The people at the park run. The people at the, the, the four-wheel drive club. Surely something's got to grip a hold of us. And we've got to change something. Because what we're doing now is not working. There are people dying and going to a Christless eternity. God help us. God help us, would you? Help us to reach people. What we're doing now is not working. God, would you help us to do something different? If the one thing you do this week is spend 30 seconds trying to notice someone, you just sit down in, on the chair or in your car and you say, God, help me to see the people around about me. Then you pray for them. The message of Jesus, let's help it to spread rapidly. By letting it grip us. By letting it grip us. Video, please. Monday night is garbage night at our house. That means that someone has to go around and collect all the garbage, bring it out to the big cans outside, bring the cans to the curb, and then put the stickers in the cans to let the garbage man know that we've paid for it to be picked up. I usually do it myself as one of my chores, but every once in a while, I'll get my sons involved. This past Monday night, I had a terrible head cold. It absolutely knocked me out. My nose was running like a faucet, and I sneezed constantly. I sat at the counter after dinner, dazed with an ever-growing mountain of snotty Kleenex around me. Like, it was disgusting. At 10 o'clock, I realized I hadn't taken out the garbage. So I got up, still feeling miserable, and reluctantly trudged around the house collecting all the little garbage cans. On my way out of the house, I walked by my two sons. There they sat on the couch, fully engrossed in a basketball game. I stopped and stared for a minute, sneezing, sniffling, and overloaded with garbage bags. I tried to look as miserable as possible. 
hoping they might notice and on their own offer to do it for me. Not a peep. Neither of them moved. Oh, they saw me, but they remained oblivious to my unspoken request for help. Oh, hey, Dad. Did you see this dunk by Blake Griffin? Check this out, man. Disappointing, to say the least. It would be nice if just once, on their own, without being asked, my kids would notice when someone needs help. Jesus was a master at noticing others. He paid attention. As he traveled from place to place, he constantly noticed others and entered into their worlds. Like he sees Zacchaeus sitting in a tree as he's walking down the road. The Bible includes this weird little detail about Zacchaeus. It says that he's short, which means that he's probably really short. Like always pick last for the basketball team short, or can't get a date to the prom short, or constantly bullied by the football team short. Oh yeah, I may have been a short guy in high school, which means I can tell you from experience that short guys get no respect. So imagine Zacchaeus, so short that the Bible decides it's the most interesting fact about him, except for the fact that he's a tax collector, which is not the most respectable job. Then Jesus comes along. Out of the whole crowd, he notices short tax collecting Zacchaeus, and he invites himself over for dinner. To Jesus, this is really no big deal. He notices people all the time. But to Zacchaeus, it's a really big deal, and it changes his life. Every Tuesday and Thursday, I play ball hockey with a bunch of stockbrokers and businessmen. Powerful, successful guys. And they become my friends over the past couple of years. Scott is usually one of the loudest guys on the floor and in the locker room. So a few weeks ago, when he had nothing to say before, during, or after the game, I noticed, hey Scott, why so quiet today? Then, this big, tough, hockey-playing guy got emotional. He told me about his son studying overseas. He told me that his son and his friends had been threatened and was worried for his son's life. Seriously, he was worried that his son would be hurt or killed. I asked Scott if he'd like me to pray for him. He said, sure. So we headed out into the health club lobby and I prayed for Scott and his son. It wasn't difficult, it wasn't a big deal, but it wouldn't have happened if I hadn't chosen to notice Scott. In Genesis, Hagar, Abram's maidservant, gets thrown into the wilderness by Abram's wife, Sarah. She's hungry, thirsty, pregnant, and alone. Hagar assumes she'll be hurt in some way or die. It seems like her story really can't end well. But then God finds her, saves her, and makes a beautiful promise over her. But I think the coolest part of the story is Hagar's response. The Bible tells us that Hagar then calls God a special name, which means the God who sees me, who notices me, who pays attention to me. When we pay attention to people in need, when we simply notice the people around us, we are imitating Christ. We are acting like God. And we become the person who sees, who notices, who pays attention. And just maybe, our noticing will be the beginning of someone's life changing. The passage that uh, he refers to is in Genesis chapter 16 and verse, verse 13. It says, thereafter, Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord who had spoken to her. She said, you are the God who sees me. Can we stand this morning? If there's one thing I've come to understand and come to know and realize this morning is that we're here today because number one, God has seen us. But number two, God put us on someone else's heart that they saw us, they noticed us and it started the process of us coming to Christ. I think it's probably safe to assume this morning that most of us would be in a relationship with Jesus. But I know like me that you too are concerned about your family and your friends, your work colleagues, the people that are on your kids' sporting teams, the the kids' coaches. 
And we want to see them enter into eternity. Maybe it's time we need to change what we're doing. Heavenly Father, I pray for us as a people. I pray open up our eyes. Slow us down enough. Help us to stop looking inward at all the things that we need, we want, we have. And help us to see the people around about us. Help us to pray secretly for those people. Help us to listen to their story. And just simply asking questions about the things that they reveal. Not trying to tell them anything, but simply trying to understand where they're coming from. Give us the grace to reach out to them, I pray. Would you this week, Lord God, speak to each one of us. Help us to work on our homework. And to take it, the tool that you've given us, the seed that you've given us. And to actively and deliberately and intentionally plant that seed and use that tool this week to see change come. Father, I pray that in the wonderful name of Jesus this morning. This morning, I don't know everybody, like I said, but if you don't know Jesus this morning and you've heard maybe something that's just caught your attention and this morning you simply want to say, look, you know what, I want to give my life to Jesus this morning. Is there anyone here this morning? You just, you just don't know why you're here. You don't know how you got here maybe, but you just know that, you know what, you need Jesus this morning. Is there anybody here this morning? that you just want to say yes to Jesus. You've never said, come into my life before. You've never engaged in a conversation with God before maybe, or you've never, certainly never invited him and yielded your life, surrendered your life to him. Is there anyone this morning that wants to give their heart to Christ? Just lift up your hands so we can see it. I'd love to pray for you. I've got some gifts to give to you to help you in your journey. Is there anyone this morning? Okay. If there is anyone that you want to talk to, Afterwards, uh, please come and see me. I'm more than happy to have a conversation with you. Thank you.